0: Welcome to another podcast from the Oxford International Centre for Publishing Studies at Oxford Brookes University. Today, the talk by John Elford was recorded on Tuesday the 15th of November. The title of John's talk is The Challenges of Independent Publishing and is introduced by Dr Sally Hughes. John Elford, thank you very much indeed for coming all this way. John's come from um, top Nest today, which
1: to is right, also yes, 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 joining us. And John is the founder and managing director, wouldn't say? Not quite the founder. Not quite founder, okay, I'm sorry, wrong already. But John is going to talk about Green Books, his uh, publishing company, uh, which is the UK's largest independent environmental publishing company, which produces a range of books covering ecological and cultural issues. Um, But he's chosen to speak not only about those issues this evening, but also about the challenges of independent
0: publishing. John, thank you very much indeed for coming in this way. Nice to be here. Um, that graph, that that chart, has a significance, and we will come to it a bit later. It's not just a pretty or eye bit of artwork. So, I'll say a bit about Green Books. Um, as I said, we were founded. We we're coming up for twenty-five years. Have any of you heard of someone called Satish Kumar? No, Okay, He's quite a well-known ecologist. He was actually a Jain monk. So he's Indian, as you can tell by his name. He's naturalized British. He uh, walked 10,000 miles on a peace pilgrimage. Uh, He was a Jain monk. He quit. He worked with Gandhi's main successor called Vinobu Bhave in India, uh, helping Vinobu to go around India. And they donated an area the size of Scotland, they persuaded landlords to donate an area the size of Scotland to, the, to poor, unlanded um, people. So he went on this walk, and then he actually, I might not tell his whole life story, but he saw that Bertrand Russell, the peace campaigner, had gone to jail for peace, and he thought, well, what am I doing? Here I am just wandering around India. Anyway, he went on a 10,000 mile pilgrimage to, from India to Moscow to London to all the four Nuclear Capitals. Anyway, so that's he's a little bit of background about our chairman. He's quite well-known and sort of does Thought for the Day on Radio 4 and things like that. So he set up Green Books, but also he has been, he's actually the longest-serving editor of a magazine in the UK, Resurgence Magazine, which is a sort of eco-spiritual magazine, and it was very closely associated with, Oh, E.F. Schumacher. Author of Small is Beautiful. I trust you've all, you all all—you must know the phrase Small is Beautiful. Has anyone actually read the book by any chance? Yeah. <laughs> Two old gentlemen. He's actually, Schumacher is actually coming back into vogue that David Cameron invited some members of the family to Downing Street to talk about the ideas of Small is Beautiful because I think it resonates with his idea of a big society. So I just put a few quotes of Schumacher. I read my subject, actually over lunch. Oxfam, not Oxfam, no, a charity set up by Schumacher called Practical Action, Was called intermediate technology. They published their own edition smallest of Small East People while I've been reading it over lunch while I've been eating my sandwiches. And just picking out a few quotes, I mean, he was a very wise man. He was an economist. He was an incredibly astute economist, very highly regarded by the big economists of his age, J.M. Keynes and so on. And he wrote things like that. In infinite growth of material consumption in a finite world is an impossibility. Well, you ought to tell that to some of the economists. It might be said, oh yes, This is a very interesting one. It might be said it's the ideal of the employer to have production without employees, and the ideal of the employee is to have income without work. Well, that shows, if you regard everything from a purely economic point of view, what you end up with. And that's a, that's a wonderful one. Call the thing immoral or ugly, soul-destroying or a degradation of man, a peril to the peace of the world or to the well-being of future generations. As long as you haven't shown it to be uneconomic, you haven't really questioned it to exist, grow and prosper. So again, this is economism writ large. Anyway, so he's a big influence on Green Books. And we, I'm on the Council of the Schumacher Society that organises lectures in Bristol once a year. And we work with Schumacher College at Dartington around the corner from where we are. There's a Schumacher Institute, and basically he's, we think he's, his ideas are of enduring importance. Just going back, if I can, right, this is just some samples of books we've published recently. Um, we used to do a lot more ideas, a bit of history, a bit more politics and so on. Now we do more practical books, and also transition. Has anyone heard of the transition movement? (coughs) No? I thought it hasn't reached reached Oxford. Transition movement is quite a big thing. It actually, it's, there are about 900 transition uh, initiatives worldwide and it's all about meeting uh, the Peak oil and climate change, dealing, how we're going to deal with these issues, these uh, issues of peak oil and climate change, and it's, there are local activities that people get together, they band together and they say, okay, how can we provide food our local, in our local area so we don't have to import it from overseas and so on. So it's about local self-sufficiency, building community, and of course as oil gets more and more expensive, there won't be such access, easy access as, as there is at the moment. So it's a positive... Community response to climate change. Um, anyway, that's rather side. So you can get a sort of sense of what we do. Of all, so we do a couple of what we sort of call eco-spiritual or simple living, uh, green lifestyle books. We organic gardening. Gardening is our big, big seller at the moment. Economics on Mars. That's done quite well. Max Andrew is a very well-known green economist. But of all these, actually, the best by well, far the best-selling books. Eat well, waste less, we sold 186,000 at the last count. Reduce, reuse, recycle, we've sold of several editions, probably sold a couple of hundred thousand. Because we actually sell them in bulk to councils. I'll talk a bit about that later, about our sort of peculiar aspects of our marketing. So that was Schumacher. Now, <laughs> Schumacher, this is all propaganda, you see, I have an opportunity to do a bit of propaganda. Um, Schumacher's greatest influence or one of them was someone called Leopold Kaur, who wrote The Breakdown of Nations. Anyone heard of The Breakdown of Nations? No? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, The Breakdown of Nations is a wonderful book. We reprinted it 10 years ago. We were selling 80 copies a year until this article came out at the end of September. <laughs> Paul Kingsnorth, who's next journalist for The Ecologist, so basically he said, if you want to understand what's going on at the moment, you've got to read The Breakdown of Nations. So there was our little book, it was chuntering along. Whoops. And then, this is our Amazon login as a publisher. Breakdown of Nations, 108 copies. It was our bestseller last month. We sold 1,000 copies in about six weeks, having sold 80 a year for the last 10 years. <laughs> so, so people think that it's obviously to do with the euro, you know what, the problems that are going on in the European Union. And uh, Leopold Kaur, I think he says he's, gives him a nice quote. Anyway, those are the, the most important unknown economies, so to speak. Anyway, so that's rather a, a wonderful story for us, and I'm going to have to reprint it. Now, this is just sort of nothing to do with publishing, really, but shows about the kind of the nature of the world we live in. I Tell you what, you saw this wonderful story. They're putting a new cable under the Atlantic, which will link up New York and London, so the traders can carry out their trading six milliseconds faster and it's going to cost $300 million, and the people who are investing the money are absolutely convinced they're going to get their money back. Because it is so important, this six milliseconds, because of all this computerised trading. Six milliseconds advantage, you know, you, you're onto a winner. So that's just my reflection on the nature of the world we live in. Okay. Um, do ask any questions, by the way. I'm happy to be interrupted. Are we Part of my talk was going to be about polish as being green. There, are, It's a sort of, it's, as you may know, it's quite a contentious issue because a, sorry, well, I really jumped onto e-readers, um, e-books. You know, an e-reader digging out the materials, the, 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 the rare earth metals, and the fact that then it might last for 10 years, 20 years, 5 years, who knows, compared to a book that can be recycled and so on and so forth. It's a very, very difficult comparison. But just in terms of um, what the general picture about how publishers can go <coughs> green, obviously, Paper sourcing is a big thing, and there is this publisher's database for responsible environmental paper sourcing, but it's mostly used by larger publishers. We, until very recently, just used recycled paper, until we had a bit of a financial challenge recently, and I actually, for the first time in about seven or eight years, I looked at the differential cost between recycled paper and non-recycled paper. And it's a huge amount. I mean, one's paying at least a third more for recycled. And so we decided we just couldn't afford to do it. So now we use FSC paper, which you probably know about. So paper, well, that's also paper sourcing. Obviously, you can do the normal uh, green things in the office. We publish a book about that called Green Your Office. Obviously, you travel. And as I said, there's the business about e-books <coughs> versus printed books. Um, oh, there are a couple of quotes about that. Yeah, you know how much, how much carbon you're using in all these server farms in the Mojave Desert or wherever they are that are actually running all the computers that are reading the e-books and so on and so forth. So uh, I just think it's a very difficult area. You're sort of comparing apples and oranges, really. Whoops. And oh, that's about. That's just a, the, the database. of These publishers' database for responsible environmental s- paper sourcing. Okay, so are we green? We are green books. I would say yes, we are pre-green. We only use printers within 150 miles of our office because we want to support our local economy, which is a green thing to do. Um, we now, as I said, print on FSC paper using vegetable-based inks, but actually almost all printers you will, will use vegetable-based inks now. All printers say they are green, so it's not hard to find someone who says they're a green printer. I said about the recycled paper. I mean, if, that's actually a little bit interesting. In terms of the kinds of books we produce, for ordinary text books that aren't on art paper, it's very easy. You can print on 100% recycled paper. But if you start printing art books with you know, full, full colour on 100% recycled, I don't think you get a very good result. So we've always used just a, uh, 75% as maximum for us. Yes, you can get to Frankfurt, <laughs> even from Totnes. In Devon, you can get to Frankfurt by train in the day, so you don't need to fly there. Um, yeah, we do the normal green things about the office. But as I was saying earlier, in a way, selling a million copies of books to councils on persuading people to go green is probably more important than one little company with about five full-time employees going green. But, you know, we do our bit. Um, in terms of us being the largest independent environmental public company, that since Earthscan, whom you may know of, was sold to Taylor and Francis recently, they are much much bigger than us. In fact, we picked up one of their employees on a part-time basis. But they, are an academic press. Uh, we're the only well, we're the, yeah. We've always been, I suppose, the largest, but not that big, general green publisher, publishing books for the general reader, which is also of course quite a difficult area. Now, I just did a couple, of, I don't know whether you like spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets. Um, I, I, I do, I'll talk a little bit about what I do and I don't do. I actually have a sort of, I did an MBA, all that stuff. I had maths background, so I like all this stuff. But I don't necessarily use it in our day-to-day decision-making. So here's a, here's a costing of a, just a, black, a nice little book on green living. We've reprinted, well, they're first print, two, three, four, five, six. So we've reprinted five times. Since May, so in ten years, so very nice. You know, reprint once a year, and we get. So what I've got here is print quantity and all the printing costs. Obviously, these are the origination costs that then disappeared when we do any reprints. So the reprints are therefore cheaper, and this is the markup on the. That's the selling price. That's seven and a half times markup. Uh, the unit cost. Seven and a half times comes to the retail price. So, that's, that's, you know about this phrase, the markup? Yep. yeah. Okay. So, obviously, this gets better. It looks better and better. 13, 14, 15, which is fantastic. And one can do it for that sort of book, which is printing, and that's all print on recycled paper. Um, is, and, what is it 128 pages, 112 pages. Royal Octavo, if you know that, 234 by 156 millimeters. And we hope that will go on forever. But the sort of markups you can get on a book like that, that's just black and white, with lovely woodcutty illustrations by someone called Cliff Harper, <coughs> who does illustrations for The Guardian. If you look in The Guardian Review at the weekend, there's usually a poetry book with a very nice colour illustration with that vein with that by Clifford Harper. So that's the sort of markups that we get, if we're very lucky, if a book continues to sell on a mono book. And here's a full colour book. So this is 256 pages full colour, building with cob, which is also, we've had four printings, which is very nice. So 4,000, 4,000, 3,000, 3,000. Um, but we will never, ever achieve those markups because of the cost of full colour printing the art paper and so on. I mean, unless we're selling it at, I suppose, it, it's £25. Pounds. If we were selling it £40, pounds, I suppose we might make it, but I think that's a non-starter. You can see that, 25 quid. So we're getting about seven and a half times. And also, it hasn't usually changed, so it seems as we've reprinted it. So that's sort of, from my perception, when, when we're looking at books we're publishing. Also, huge difference, in this case, in editorial time, we do almost everything in-house. So all the design uh, and that the whole planning the layout of the book is much, much, obviously, more complex than straight textbook with some nice little indented quotes and so on and so forth. So it's just sort of a sense of the, you know, I sort of see that there's being two kinds of books, really. Now, uh, okay, we've been getting 25 years, as I said, and it's been, it was an interesting history, I, I it has been an interesting history. When I started, it was just two years after Green Books had been set up, and when I joined, an assistant just been taken on, so two of us, and there were actually two of us for a very, very long time, probably for, for pretty well, I don't know, getting on for ten years maybe, and uh, we made losses. We actually made losses for about nine or ten years in a, in a row, and finally we got into a bit of profit, and this is that right? Yeah, profit loss. So, and then basically then we we had our sort of greatest year about three years ago. We made almost hundred thousand profit. Uh, And the turnover, you can see, got up to about 900,000. But since then, what's really happened is... I don't know what my next slide is. Yeah, (laughs) the this was the first one. This breaks down our turnover in its main categories. So this huge area in the middle has gone to, in recent years, has gone to actually almost nothing. And that was our sales to councils because we've always, well, again, about 10 years ago or more, we distributed, uh, we distributed One American List, another green publisher called Chelsea Green. They did a book called Backyard Composting. And it had a little flag on it, and a sort of little tab on the front cover, said over half a million copies sold. And I spoke to the author whom we were paying royalties to. Um, said well you know where do you sell them to and he said we sell them to municipal authorities which basically means councils from in our jargon and we started the guy who was our sort of sales manager who's worked with me he started selling just he went to the yellow pages and he got the addresses of names addresses of people in councils and said you know recycling department or whatever they had their waste department you know would you be interested in buying and giving to your residents and <coughs> basically from that we then developed uh, i think about 13 or 14 books and in that wonderful best year of ours, we sold over a quarter of a million pounds worth of books, mostly to councils on recycling, composting, food waste, uh, saving energy, and that sort of saving water, that sort of thing. And we also do a book for water companies on <coughs> which they can give to their residents about where your water comes from and, and why you should save it and so on, and so forth. So anyway, so the moral of all this is is that. Your markets can come and go, but what's happened since the sort of recent financial dramas is that councils have really no money to buy our books with, which is pretty. I mean, it's been pretty stunning. You know, our turnover has gone from about 280,000, 140,000, 96,000. This year, it looks as though it'll be about twenty or thirty, because um, they also they've been told by some, some councils we've spoken to. They say we're well, giving out books. Seems profligate in these these days, you know, your students, they say, well, you know, where do you get the money for to waste on giving out books to everybody? So, this has hit us rather hard, so we're having to, as you saw from the turnover, you know, it's come down and it's still going down a bit, but we're having to adjust, therefore. Um, Yeah, so, what challenges have we faced in recent years? Obviously in twenty five years the readership's going to change, you know, people are going to want different things. I was trying to sort of characterize it's a little bit difficult in a way, but I mean we have adjusted by doing a lot more gardening books. I mean in terms of our yeah, so that's declined, that area, but this has grown up instead. So now more than half our turnover is gardening. Um, which is fine, but and it pays the bills, but that's not sort of why Green Books were set up. So we also like to do more political, books on politics and economics and so on. So, yeah, different subjects. Obviously, I mean, we last did a mail order catalogue about seven or eight years ago, because what would one do with one now? What's gonna do internet marketing? Uh, I mean, you can still do mail order catalogues, but uh, I think they'd just be uneconomic, mostly, for us. But we longer have, we have a mailing list of, of individual customers as we used to. Obviously, new technology, I mentioned about <coughs> decline in selling to councils, and another yeah another category actually there <coughs> directories. Uh, well, that was that it was never it's never huge, but we used to publish an organic directory. We did organic places to stay in the UK, which were quite nice and quite significant in, in their days, but they've just gone to obviously because of the, the web. Um, they we just don't we just stop printing them basically we stop doing year editions. These are the guys, the the books we sell to councils I was talking about, as I said, they were just fantastic in their day, because what we actually did was say a book on, say, energy which would be bought actually also by um, housing associations, who've got loads of residents and they would give them out, so they would, we do customised editions, or whatever you care to call it, so basically we say to them, you can put your own logo on the front cover, put page one, message, you know, say if it's recycling, you know, you can say where your recycling depots are, a message from the chairman, whatever you want to do, and your logo, front cover back, whatever you like, basically, and then I just did all that in Quark Express in the, in the, before we used InDesign, and um, off to the printer, send them one bill, fantastic, you know, nice bit of business, and obviously spreading our green message. But this has all disappeared. So, what we're trying to do, we've got to sort of pilot out at the moment, is seeing whether they'll buy e books. Because one of the local councils said they were quite interested in buying e books rather than printed books. We shall see. We haven't, haven't sold any yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is one of the books on the website. We just got a sort of flick thing, you know, a turn page thing, so they can, people can flick through and just see what the book contains. Right, OK, How do you, you must get lots of lectures about this, but this is my particular sort of take on it. I'm um, Yeah, it depends. what you know, there are many things to do. We obviously, we're an ideological publishing company. We're ideologically driven, and we're not primarily financi- financially driven. We've got lots of little shareholders who haven't seen much of their money over the years. But um, the fact is, well, in fact, one shareholder, I just got a letter yesterday, she sent back a share certificate, and she said, "I'd like to donate the shares back to the company because I like what you're doing." She's quite wealthy, I know. Like what you're doing, so we'll just give you your shares back. So that's very nice. Um, <laughs> even though, so even though they weren't getting much by way of dividends, you know, they feel that we're doing what we were set up to do. So, as I said there, our decisions about which titles to publish are actually—I—I I don't actually do profit and loss. Uh, that's maybe anathema to people on a publishing course, but I don't actually do profit and loss. I sort of say, okay, what do we feel about this book? You know, Do we want to do it? And if so, we actually do it. I mean, if we do it, we think there's gonna be a reasonable market for it, but I, I really don't do actual profit and loss calculation for each book, <coughs> even though I love spreadsheets. Um, yeah, and I know that we can't predict sales. I mean, I talked to someone, there's someone who works for us, who worked for a very big publisher, Uh, All with their own sales force, and they said, you know, all the sales meetings that the reps would come along, and they would, you know, talk about cover designs and say how many copies they could sell in what time, you know, fill it all in. But I mean, it doesn't mean they sold that many in that time. She said it really wasn't that accurate at all, but you know, that was the form they had to go through. So, but what I think is really, really valuable for a publisher. Is longevity, being uh, not personally, but being around a long time as a publisher, you develop a backlist, like the breakdown of nations, where you suddenly sell a thousand copies in a month and a half. But you know, more generally, the fact is you've got a bedrock of turnover that you may have published last year, five years ago, or even ten years ago. I mean, uh, a not infinitesimal part of our turnover is books we published ten years ago, so that probably something like OUP even more so. So, um. So that's our sort of philosophy of publishing, really. Now this is, you may again get taught in much more detail about all this, but I, as I see it, there are two ways of looking at a publishing, of, of organising a publishing company. You can have one person who, and of course there are many people like this, who does everything, <coughs> and they can sub out editing, design, production, probably having the production themselves, sales marketing, the whole thing, publicity, everything can be put out of house. You've got a spider in the middle who's actually controlling all this, And this, I suppose, is one version of the other end of the scale. We've got a big company with sales and marketing and all the different departments. That's just some of them. And, of course, they have completely different characteristics. So that's worth being aware of when, you know, if you're going for a job after you finish the course. um, That's extremely flexible because the person, you know, everyone's freelance, basically. So the person in the middle can, they've got no overheads apart from themselves. And that's the opposite. Um, I mean, we have got eight staff. Actually, I can't get onto that, do I? Yeah. Um, yeah, we have eight staff, equivalent to about five full-time people. Very bitty, very part-time. Only three of us are full-time. Uh, and so we're, but we have in-house, all our significant operations done in-house. We, don't have, we have an in-house designer two or three days a week editorial, just, well, someone freelance uh, does work from home, but generally, pretty well everything is done in-house. So we can have all these, these meetings, of which I'm sure you have even more in larger companies. We have one meeting once a week, and other things around that, if necessary, but basically, we will discuss any live titles. We can all sit around and look at covers and talk about issues like that, it covers the vexation of publishers, really. Very difficult to get them right. Um, I, do, I do sort of maintain that if you're doing complicated books that are, where well, you need a lot of input. You get much more input if you have people in-house. If you're working like this, it may be fine to run a publishing company if you're doing books on management or something like that. But if you're doing picture-led books or books that have a significant sort of picture element, I would maintain it's good to have views of lots of different people, which you'll have if you have them in-house, whereas if you have everybody out of house... I would say it's difficult to get, you know, you've got your own views, which are valuable, but you need other people's as well. So, how we're organised. Um, yeah, I do sort of general management. I also do foreign rights and handle production and all the money stuff. We have a full-time editorial manager, two commissioning editors, one two days a week, one one day a week, a designer three days a week, sales manager three days a week. Ooh, I miss out on... Got that wrong there. That's, she, she's full time. Anyway, you can see it, it's bitty, and what it means is at the beginning of the week we have eight people in the office. By the end of it, we have three. But that's sort of all right. I mean, it means you can get a lot of work done. You know, when it's if there's loads of people around, it can be quite difficult. Oh yeah, said that. So in terms of how we organise ourselves, we have a staff meeting in which we talk about everything, anything in general, and people just say what they're up to, and then. We have commissioning, and commissioning meeting means when we take on a new title, the person who actually commissions the book then puts some material on our our database or our sort of network drive, so everyone else can look at it, and so the marketing and publicity people can get a sensible idea about what the book is, what it potentially is, Then we say, okay, well, you know, what sort of illustrations, what sort of price, all that stuff, but we do it on a very, very informal basis. We don't sort of fill in great charts, really. And decisions about which, what tasks to be published, as I said, they're a little bit intuitive rather than commercially uh, decided. And we have got a board of directors, but it's all a bit sort of... It's not involved in the all day-to-day stuff. Yes, well, I just... Uh, you know about all this, I trust. <coughs> Publishing is changing incredibly quickly. I do think that systems have become more and more important. I mean, when I started... There were such things as galley proofs, you know, that people literally chopped, designers chopped up and pasted onto, you know, as artwork and then sent to the printers and they get scanned in. Whereas now, obviously, everything's all in, <coughs> in design and what have you. And we follow that and all the stuff about XML workflow. But also, in terms of, say, I mean, bibliographic information, which is becoming incredibly important to tie in, obviously, with e e-books or what have you, that we now have bibliographic database that feeds our website. So it is done by the same people and then also they feed Nielsen book data, they feed Amazon, they feed all the people who need data about our books. And it makes it incredibly efficient basically, because you're not having to re duplicate all sorts of inf- information. This everyone says this now, you know, if you're setting up a publishing company, you wouldn't start from here. It's very interesting that I know, as I said, Earthscan was, um, until they're being taken over by Taylor and Francis, they were the biggest environmental pub- publisher, definitely, and um, their... What was I going to say? Yeah, interesting. They, loads of their staff left, and very few have actually ended up with, still with Taylor and Francis, and they've sort of been fallen by the wayside, but I know the people who have left, they are, they are actually setting up a new initiative, but it's nothing like Earthscan. I mean, they, they, they're purely web-based, I think, and sort of chunking books and all sorts of interesting things. They're, they're basically not... They could have set up a sort of new independent first-game type organisation. But they, you know, it, the fact is, uh, we are in a digital world now, and it's probably best you know, to start, start digitally. To uh, Well, digital is its centre, anyway, and all this stuff about digital natives, which you've probably heard of. You know, that in, in a publishing company such as mine, where we've got a fair number of older staff there's a real danger that actually people aren't techie enough. It's terribly straightforward. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of not frightened of techie stuff. I'm not a bit of a nerd, but um, you know, I'm not incredibly stuck in there, but I'm the most techy person in our, country, in our company by far. So you know, it can be quite difficult for people to really take on board all the things that one has to do on the web. Oh, yes, just another little quote from Schumacher to finish up with, hey, good timing. Um, any intelligent fool can make things bigger, more complex, and more vile. It takes a touch of genius and a lot of courage to move in the opposite direction. So, as you can see, Green Books has remained small even after 25 years, not for want of trying. <laughs> I, don't know whether. I mean, looking back at our looking back at our, our turnover figures, you can see that. Uh, it took a very, very long time for us to sort of crawl off the bottom there. But uh, I don't think actually I was very, very sort of marketing oriented. I was more ideas oriented. But uh, you know, some people are like that. So there we are. So, um, absolutely, questions. Have a look at our website if you're interested in what we do. Um, I've left a few catalogues there. Obviously, you can see it all online. Um, so. Great job. Okay. thank you very much. Thank you. How were you able to survive, like, for nine years? Losses, yeah. There were small losses. Um, we, yeah, that's how you see. The company was set up with £50,000 worth of share capital. <coughs> and through this magazine resurgence, I mentioned. So they launched the company and sort of well-meaning, some wealthy people, you know, environmentally disposed people, invested in the company. £50,000 when I arrived, more or less fresh from business school, <coughs> and I thought, well, before I take this job, that I was offered, I'm going to look at the accounts, and the accounts hadn't been done for a bit more than a year. And um, they'd made a loss that year of 20,000 pounds and a turnover of 60,000. So it's quite serious, you know, it's a percentage of your turnover. So we very soon had to get more money in, so we went from 50 to, a, we doubled it, so we got 100,000 in, that was fine. A Couple of years later, we ran out of money again, we tried to double it again, and we ended up with 140,000 share capital. So that has been our share capital ever since, 140,000. Now, these are such small amounts that the cumulative... That's not a cumulative... That's profit loss in year. The cumulative will obviously go... If you add it together, it's going to go down and down. It's about minus 100,000. So we had 141,000, and we got down to 100... We eaten up have 100,000 of it, so we weren't insolvent. And then it started to climb up. So, and ever since then, I mean... We made some serious profits, just as I say, before the recent downturn. But it was it was challenging, and our our shareholders have only ever received <coughs> two dividends in the whole of their <laughs> twenty <trouble laughs> five years. But they're not complaining. They some of them die, but they don't complain. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you ever had pulp books because you produce
0: too many, or how do you Very very rarely. No, I, I don't mean. Um, <coughs> no, in terms of. We print, we will only print what we think is a reasonable number uh, in the first instance. We're not going to print 50,000 in a book. We're not we uh, sure. to print 50,000 anyway, to start with. Um, except for a council, we'll print 50,000. Um, so, uh, sorry, I missed the point. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I sorry, I'm going to have to Uh Old directories, hopeless. You know. I mean, an old organic directory that's been superseded, then yeah, help it. What else is there so to is do Is that
1: an environmental Can that then be recycled? No, it can be recycled, absolutely, yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. mean, if you look at, if you go to a a printing company uh, that's sort of environmentally friendly, you'll find they've got, they separate out the waste, they've got loads of white waste that they, in fact they've got unprinted white waste, and then they've got printed stuff that they've had to chop off, you know, when they're trimming and folding and all that sort of stuff, so that all goes off for recycling
1: Um, how do you find the market um, being in, in Devon? Uh, like, is it? Do you find it that the market's quite
0: localised or are you able to reach other parts of the country as well? Oh, no, we're, we're, we're international. I mean, we we do actually sell, because I mentioned the transition movement, which is really quite a big thing, despite the fact that not many people have heard about it, it's, it is a big thing. And this guy called Rob Hopkins, who writes our books, he lives locally and he's a bit of a sort of international eco-superhero nowadays. But... Um, we sell a bit locally. We sell to transition groups countrywide. We sell to councils countrywide. We sell. We've got a mutual distribution arrangement with this company called Chelsea Green, a green publisher in the state. So we distribute their books, they distribute our books. I handle foreign rights. So I go to London Book Fair, I go to Frankfurt Book Fair, I do a lot of emailing. You hardly really need to go to book fairs, anyway, except you meet new people, but you know. Otherwise, one does a huge amount by email with foreign rights. So um, no, we sell worldwide. I mean, America is about 10% of our turnover. Foreign rights is maybe 5%, so there is a lot going on in the UK, but lo- we're, by no means a local business. No, no, no. Um, do you commission titles actively, or
1: do you mainly
0: wait for workers to come to you? Uh, we do a bit of both. I mean. It, Compared to most other publishers, we're quite receptive. You know, we, don't, we receive a lot of submissions, and actually, we, because we're sort of focused in our area, and there aren't many other people like us, particularly who publish books, for the general reader on green issues, we get a huge number of submissions, and actually some are very good. And uh, so we publish, I would say, a greater percentage than most publishers of, uh, what do you call it, unsolicited manuscripts. And we don't insist people go through agents or any of that sort of stuff, but it does mean we've got a lot to wade through uh, but also, um, we will find existing authors that, I mean, what is so extraordinary is actually we've picked up some incredible local authors, because Totnes is really sort of the centre of the green movement, and we've got a lot of local authors, actually, who are really, really good, and we've, we've produced some sort of seminal works by fairly local people. As so I say, the transition books, the, um, there's also a, a forest gardening movement. Uh, which is a particular kind of gardening way, sort of mimicking a natural forest. You have seven layers that you plant in and so on and so forth. And sort of, certainly the UK expert, if not world expert, lives down the road from us and so on. So he's done a wonderful book for us.
1: Can I, can I ask a question? I'm interested about the, the, the cash flow issue here. And um, some time ago I had a chance to talk to somebody in um, Italy who was setting up his, his approach was I'm going to set up a bookshop first to handle the cash flow, and then once I've got mm-hmm. that morning, I'll, I'll now clearly bookshops are not the sort of um, best thing to go into right now. Mm-hmm. But, but did you ever consider that, uh, particularly when you were in Totnes? No, I mean, I mean there um, is there, there is a
0: bookshop. I mean, we're on this, the Darlington Estate, which is a rather wonderful medieval estate in, mm-hmm. in Totnes. The Dartmouth and Hall Trust run the Topness Bookshop. They own the yeah. Topness Bookshop, and they have another bookshop, at the, 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 the sort of commercial centre called the Cider Press in, in, in Dartington as well. Um, we have, I mean, I used to also, for my sins, Well, I was, I think, running Green Books by myself, I also ran... The book service of the Schumacher Society. We used to take books down to Schumacher College, so a little bit of local selling. Mm-hmm. But no, we never thought about that. And also, I mean, I thought when we had to move recently, someone said, "Well, why don't you have an office in town?" Well, I think people coming in and just buying books and so on would be a distraction. You know, there are enough bookshops. There's also a very good remainder bookshop in town. Right, it's very yeah.
1: With the um, financial constraints, spending capital, and the fact that you um, would rather produce a wonderful book, not necessarily for uh, that has a large target market and would produce large sales quickly. Uh, what would your budgets be like for marketing for certain titles?
0: O- all very ad hoc, really. We have a, we have a, a sort of budget for the whole year, mm-hmm. but how we allocate it is very, I'm afraid, it's not, <laughs> not very sort of uh, scientific. We, we just sort of, done, you know, if we feel it's worth money, worth spending, and <coughs> we have the money, we will spend it. We don't say, well, we're going to allocate £500 for that title and £1,000 for that one. We just haven't, haven't ever worked that way. I mean, as times are very tough at the moment, you know, generally, as you know, in the publishing industry, they're tricky, and for us, we're losing ourselves to councils. But and we're, we're being more rigorous about that. But in the past, we've never sort of, well, we haven't done it <laughs> that way.
1: I was just interested in, in uh, your employees. Yeah. You said a lot of them were part-time. Yeah. Is that
0: something? Uh, do they do other things on the side? Or is it something like the a Yes, um, some some do. Um, let me just think. Uh, I mean, our designer works for other people, so she works three days for us and two days for other people. Um, we have got an editor who she, uh, she does all sorts of things. Does a garden and. Uh, bit of this and that she does also a bit of shes i think she fancies she's a screenwriter or she's she produces you know screen scripts whether she sells them or not so the matter but, so she does other things yeah so
1: they're they're all okay i mean about, without this is sort of something that they're doing on top of what well it, they have. it's part of their sort
0: of portfolio of <coughs> activities another guy he's uh, cuz we're down in the south in Devon sailing country he teaches sea survival courses So he'll go to a swimming pool with 10 people and show how you get out of a capsized boat, (laughs) that sort of thing. So that's what he does. So
1: in terms of their their benefits packages and stuff, is that something
0: that you... Well, they're they're self-employed. I mean, we've got three, no, we've got four employees and four people who are self-employed. So they're actually on an hourly rate. (coughs) So they're self-employed, yeah.
1: Yeah. Are you considering digitizing your books at all? And if so, would you outsource or
0: would you get someone in to do that? Uh, for my sins, I've had to do all that. As I said, I'm, I'm not that techy, but I'm the most techy person <laughs> in the company. And uh, about uh, May last year, I actually got gardeners, the wholesalers, you know, gardeners, book mm-hmm. to, um, they were offering this conversion service. Uh, and they were using a company in the big print company, and I'm sure they were sending that to India, basically. So I produced all my medium resolution PDFs from our print files sent them to Gardeners, so they sent them on, and we got the files back after a couple of months. It's about 50 books, I think, <coughs> and they made a fair mess of it, and I haggled with them. In the end, I got a 50% discount because they made such a mess of the whole thing. But we have we then put them onto Amazon, and just recently, um, so they've been on Amazon for about a year and a half, and we're making some sales you know, worth having, uh, but now I've got to get them onto maybe Apple because of this agency agreement, if you know about all that stuff, and there are other people, Kobo and Google Books, so the question is whether I do it all myself, <coughs> send them off individually, all the files, and all the data, metadata, they need to go with them saying, you know, about the title and what markets it's available in and all that sort of stuff. Or whether I put it all through an agency, which is very tempting, but I think they take about 25 or 30% commission. Mm. So I'm gonna do it myself, I think. But also, someone I think knows, so that Apple and Amazon, Absolutely, the lion's share of the e book market at the moment. But what what I've basically converted everything, so PDFs and (coughs) EPUBs, except recently I didn't do EPUB versions of some of our gardening books because I thought, well, they're quite expensive and highly illustrated. But who actually wants to read a gardening book on an e reader? Well, I think the answer is some people do. (laughs) But not that many. But I'm I'm sort of being a bit, I've got to be pushed into it. So, yeah.
1: I know it's 25 years in, but do you sort
0: of view the company? Do you still sort of see it as a startup given how small it is, or do you... Like, what no, are mature. We're um, And sort of, where do you see it going? More well, I sort of, I have actually said to our board, like I just said last year, look, you know, 23, I've been almost 23 years, that I feel uh, I'm just over 60, that it's time for them to get someone else in. So I probably withdraw, work, work on a part-time basis, there are other very interesting local things going on, as I said, the transition movement, well, I'm interested in. That. I'm involved in uh, Totnes pound. There you are, local currency. <laughs> That's our local currency. I'm involved in the Totnes pound group, and uh, <coughs> so I'm trying to get you know local currency going and whatnot. So I, I want to sort of diversify a bit. So I think we could do with a new person. But obviously things are changing so fast in publishing that it is good to have younger people. Younger people in uh, publishing companies now. You just need them. You've got to have them. So I, I just don't know where Green Books will go, and I hope we'll continue to publish a broad range of books, and not just get stuck on the money spinners. But basically, the gardening and ecological building is also a very good market for us. But we'll continue to do politics and uh, you know economics and a bit of eco-spiritual and transition and what have you. So hard to say. I mean, we're all just you know sort of we're in the present and we're just moving forward. But I'd be surprised if it grew to be you know a huge company
1: perhaps a good place to finish. So okay. John, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. John, thank you.